Hey, I wanted to thank you for tuning into the first installment of Shadows of the Midwest. It's going to be a multifaceted format. Later on this month, we're going to take a serialized look at the murder of a hitchhiker in southern Minnesota back in 1980. We've got some new and intriguing information that's going to be revealed during those episodes. Another facet of this series is going to be my collaboration with Dr. Eric Grabowski of Cold Case Web. With that, we're going to examine and discuss some uh, lesser-known cold cases from around the Midwest and hopefully give you some new insights. But for now, stay tuned for our first installment featuring the case of Joanne Bonches. Welcome to Shadows of the Midwest. I'm Joe Kistner. This episode is the first of a series of episodes about the unsolved murder of Joanne Bonches. Uh, joining me is Dr. Eric Grabowski. Okay. Thank you, Joe. My name is Eric Grabowski, and I run coldcaseweb.com. Joe and I are collaborating on research and analysis of the Bonches case. This program, Shadows of the Midwest, is the home of this collaboration. I am an associate professor of communication. Beside, I do cold case journalism. My words in this episode are not intended to reflect the views of my employee academic institution. Joanne's case is solvable. As I often say, someone out there knows something or knows someone who knows something. It is important for us to raise further awareness of this case. On dps.mn.gov, the Minnesota Department of Public Safety provides an overview as follows. Joanne Bonches' body was found in a ditch of, rural, of a rural road in Martin County, Minnesota, on October 3, 1975. She died as a result of a fatal gunshot wound. Her unattended vehicle was found one day prior to parked on Highway 4 in Martin County. They do ask that if you have any information regarding this case to call the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension tip line at 1-877-996-6222. In this first episode, we are featuring our January 2023 interview with Donovan Nicholson, a retired St. James, Minnesota police chief who has a strong commitment to solving this case. Back in 2018, along these lines, he was featured on WCCO, CBS, Minnesota. In our interview, you will learn more about the case and more about Donovan. He is proactive about keeping public attention going on Joanne's case, particularly through his Justice for Joanne Bonches Facebook page. As Joe and I decided to work together on this case, we realized the importance of Donovan's insight for our work. So here is the interview. I want to thank uh, Joe Kistner, and I'm Eric Rubowski, and um, we'll say Donovan first, Donovan Mickelson, but we'll, with his permission, now call him Don. We're doing uh, an initial interview here today that um, Joe and I are using here in this program, and uh, we are, um, Joe and I are working starting to begin some work on the uh, Joanne Bonji's case from Minnesota. And Don is, a, is an expert 
who's been uh, proactively pursuing this case, and we'll give him a chance to give um, some background on himself and how he got into the case and his overview of the case. I do want to mention now that uh, I, uh, just thinking back, I two things I want to mention here. At some point, there was the CBS News Minnesota piece, um, which I see from YouTube, uh, and the website was WCCO. I, it may have been syndicated elsewhere, elsewhere, and that looks like that was from back in 2018. Um, and then, of course, uh, Don has a Facebook page, and we, of course, will feature that in, in, in web one or more web platforms, too. That's the Justice for Joanne Bonjis. That's J-O-A-N-N-B-O-N-T-J-E-S. And we'll, we'll share that link in the future. But it's important to mention that's the page that Don runs and provides his updates. So, Don, let's, you, let's just let you get going here. Tell us about yourself and your work in law enforcement. And then you can get into how you dove into this case. Okay. Okay. I've been in law enforcement. I was in law enforcement. I started in 1965, uh, April of 1965. And I was in law enforcement on the St. James Police Department, St. James, Minnesota, which is in Watanwan County. And that's directly to the north of Martin County. Martin County is where this uh, murder took place. Anyway, uh, I was in uh, law enforcement for 32 years and I was, uh, Chief of Police in St. James for 22 years. And uh, I had a uh, quadruple bypass in Rochester in 2014 in October. And before that time, I was trying to help out identify a girl who was murdered by a state patrolman down uh, near Blue Earth uh, in like 1980. And in that time, while I'm helping working on that case, I'm not the one who solved the case, but I, I was helping a uh, Deborah Anderson from Blue Earth work on that case. And uh, during that time, they finally found out that this identi- identity of this girl was a Busha from uh, Bay City, Texas. And it took many years before that was determined what her name was. Anyway... Uh, when that happened, people said, well, if that could be found out, why can't they find out who this killer is of this girl down around Trimont, Minnesota? And that's about the time that I jumped into it, either uh, late in 2014 or early in 2015 is when I got into it. And then I called a meeting with one of the deputies uh, who was the investigator at that time of the case, and I met him in Ormsby, Minnesota, on the county line, and I talked to him, and I I told him, I said, you apparently you're looking in the wrong direction because I said it's been 40 years at that time, and I said it's been 40 years and nothing's happening. I said, I think you're looking in the wrong direction, and I said, I'm positive that this man is local, and that's how I got into it, and then I... Uh, I talked with the Martin County deputies a couple times at their at their office, and uh, I disagreed with some of the things that were being said, and they let me look at a few things, and it was a case where I couldn't, uh, I didn't feel I could continue looking because it would have taken me uh, days with what I wanted to go through, and I uh, decided to go out on my own instead and work on the case on myself and uh, do what I could find. So that's how I got into it, and uh, 
uh, it pointed in one direction at first at one guy pretty heavily, but yet there was no uh, no way that uh, we could put him together with the uh, with the girl. And then later on in more recent years, now in the last, I want to say three to four years maybe, uh, another suspect came to uh, came to my attention, and he's uh, he's the one that I believe has uh, been involved in it. And uh, he is not from Minnesota anymore, but he's still alive. And the person who uh, told me the name of the person, he's still alive. And he said his grandfather told him who who killed this girl and where he killed her at and uh, that he shot her. And uh, apparently they moved the body. Somebody moved the body after she was uh, uh, shot inside of the uh, head in the temple. So uh, from that point on, I'm, I've been trying to push the Martin County Sheriff's Department. I've been trying to have other people push them to get something done and talk to the right people so they can find more details. And I'm talking with polygraph and with DNA. And I'm hoping, uh, I've been told that they've done some DNA tests on some people, but they, I don't think they've done on a couple of people that I want them to do testing on that I, I believe will lead uh, to the identity of this killer or the killer's family so they will know where to look, where to pinpoint it more. Uh, Don, question for you. Of course, this, this was uh, 1975. Yep. Joanne was 21 years old when she yes. was murdered. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what's Sherburne like? That's, that was near there. And again, there's yeah. an overview of the basics of the case on that CBS Minnesota yes. that I mentioned. And we'll, we'll share that link when we're doing web work. Sure. What's the town like? What's you've mentioned some other areas, Martin County, well, Fairmont. What's the area like? Yeah. We have uh, Saint James is located in the middle of Watonwan County, which is a pretty small county. And then if you if we go uh, south of Saint James, we come on to the small town of Ormsby, which is on the border of Watonwan and Martin County, and that's where Joanne had stopped for a while. And she talked to a classmate of mine in that in that bar. From there on, she went to Trimont, which is the next town down, only about six miles apart. They're, the towns are quite close together. And about six miles down, and she went to Trimont, and she spent time in the Trimont Legion. And uh, she stayed there till about 1230 in the morning. Joanne lived in Sherburne, Minnesota, which is the next town down. It's right on I-90. And uh, she lived down there in, in Sherburne with her parents. And it was a case of where uh, Joanne was starting, had just started a beauty shop. So she had a, a beauty shop called Joe's, J-O-S. And uh, she had just started that. She had an appointment uh, the next morning be, uh, before she dis- or after she disappeared. And she didn't show for that appointment. And that's what, uh, uh, that's how that got going on that that part of the case. And, and last question here before I turn it over to my colleague Joe is 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 as you got into the case and of course you've done a lot of awareness raising on on Facebook. Be, being former law enforcement, that obviously your network you had some advantages. Obviously you have some privileges and duties, peace officer Minnesota. How has that helped you? 
um, and at least being able maybe to go into some angles that the average journalist or citizen wouldn't be able to. Well, the, prob- the problem is I knew a lot of law enforcement, but mainly in Watanwan County, not so much in Martin County. I knew very few people in Martin County. And so actually, my my time in law enforcement, uh, once you're out of law enforcement, you cannot use the connections unless it's something done privately. Uh, right. you, you can't uh, use the computers like the law enforcement things uh, unless it would be legal for them to give out to me. So it was a case where I had to do a lot of this stuff on my own. In fact, if it wasn't for Facebook, I would know nothing. And it was a case of where with with Facebook, uh, I learned more people than I've ever known before. And uh, I probably have uh, well over 3,000 Facebook friends. Many of them came from uh, the area of Sherburne and Trimont and Ormsby and, and Fairmont, which is Martin County, and all those neighboring towns right in that area. So all these people have an interest in the case. They all want to know what's going on. Uh, many of them are friends of Joanne. And, of course, there are many of these people that have passed away already. So that's, uh, it's pretty hard. I've talked to a lot of older people that were in their in their upper 80s and that, and they wanted it solved before they died. And I said, I, I, I couldn't promise it, but I said, I'll do whatever I can to, to bring it to a, a head. And it's a case of where, uh, I'm sorry to say many of them had passed away already. So it was a, that was a very, very tough thing. I, I felt bad that I couldn't help, <laughs> help those people out. They wanted those things solved. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the things that, that Joe and I recognized right away is, is your passion and commitment to the case. Joe, any questions you have for Don? Hey, Don. Yeah. Uh, one thing I think it's really exciting, once people start to find out the details and uh, in the future, when we get to dig into this case a little deeper, there's it's not just cut and dry and it's not just a simple homicide. Uh, like I said, there's lots of questions about the crime scene, where things actually occurred and you've done a lot of work on that. And I think uh, listeners and viewers are going to be really excited to hear about those details of the case. I know in uh, Southern Minnesota, we've talked about the uh, trooper case and now recently in Rock County, I believe in the last week or two, they discovered the identity of John Doe that was found, uh, I believe outside Laverne someplace back in like 1974. Oh, okay. So there's lots of intriguing, but yeah, the BCA just identified him from as a, a gentleman from Omaha, Nebraska. There's definitely a lot of interesting things. Absolutely. I mean, when people think of Southern Minnesota, right? It's farm country, but I-90 has got a lot of uh, right. interstate traffic, so you get a lot of people going through that area. Absolutely, absolutely. We had just to make a statement. Uh, St. James, uh, where I'm from. Uh, uh, is like halfway between Minneapolis and Sioux Falls. So at one point before I-90 was uh, involved in this, uh, it was a case where a lot of cars, a lot of traffic came through St. James. And we're a small town of 4,500 people. And so a lot of them came from Minneapolis going out to Sioux Falls and you know back and forth that way. So we saw a lot of traffic at that time. And then when I-90 came along, then they moved farther to the south and went to, took that route through I-90, through Paramount and Blue Earth and, and towns like that, and through Laverne, 
And so that I-90 was a very, very busy route. Yeah, well, yeah, sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, go ahead, Eric, I'm fine. No, one of the things, and I'll just mention, and, and, and of course, Don, you have significant law enforcement experiences, and uh, as we know from um, some, some material that Joe's done publicly and some things I've done, when you start to dig into older cases in general and you get to know the area, um, and even when you start to think, find out things and learn things that um, might or might not be contextually relevant to a specific case, but you do learn things that might be relevant to other cases. Right. And although there's not always going to be the connections and overlaps that one might think along the way as you rule things in and rule things out, it does give you a really interesting insight into a region or an area. Mm -hmm. Something to keep in mind. Yeah. Correct, yeah. yeah. I ran on a lot of other crimes that had been committed uh, and a lot of sexual crimes, and I'm talking uh, things that were interrelated with families and also uh, people who took babysitters home, who had uh, a 12 and a half year old girl who was raped by a farmer and uh, never turned in, uh, had uh, uh, cases where a father had uh, uh, sexually, sexually molested three of his daughters. It was never, ever reported. Another one who had sexually molested his stepdaughters and never reported. Uh, I, I ran under many of these cases like that over in that county of Martin County. And they were things that were never, never, ever done because people were afraid to report them at the time. And it was, uh, I mean, it made you, it kind of made you sick to the stomach to see all this stuff going on where nothing was done. And there was one case where there was a man who had uh, been sexually abusing his uh, niece. It started out when she was nine years old, and it went on to all the point that she was married, and it had gone on and on, and it was a case of where it was just kind of known in that area, and it was it was a terrible thing for it to continue to happen. And people know it was true. They knew it happened. The 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 niece had talked about it. The uh, Her brothers had talked about it, and it was a, uh, the guy was, doing a lot of terrible, terrible things. And yet it was a case that doesn't make him a murderer, but he was one of the first suspects, one of my first suspects at the time. But that doesn't mean that he's a killer. That was, a, that was a whole thing. Even his mother said that my son killed that girl, but yet there was no evidence, no proof to connect him with Joanne Bonses. But she did say, my son killed that girl. And she said he was driving up and down that road that night, crazy as could be. And going going to the uh, uh, east of his farm, which would have gone by this area I'm talking about, uh, which was an area where there are a couple of gravel pits and where I believe from the statement I've been told that that's where the girl was shot and near a gravel pile on this farm out there. So I was I was told by a man who's fifty nine years old. A lot of people would not believe him. Uh, he was a he's a college graduate, and he had some problem problems. Could have been somewhat autistic, but he's fifty nine years old, and uh, uh, he told me he said my grandfather, my best buddy, my grandfather told me that such and such 
shot and killed that girl right on that gravel pile right there. And there was blood all over the place. And he told me the name of the guy. And he didn't know this person because it was a nickname, not an actual name. But he did tell me the nickname of this person. And there was only one in that area by that nickname. And this this grandfather lived in the same town as this guy, only about three blocks away from him. So the grandfather would have known this guy well. And the reason for him possibly not, and I'm talking, this is this is theory now, the reason for him possibly not reporting it at that time was for the protection of his kids or his grandkids and or his big business in the city of Trimont. They had a big uh, a big business, and it was a tile, a cement and tile factory they had over there, and they built uh, silos. They built probably 300 or more silos. Big business. And But this grandson told me, he said, every time my grandpa and I would walk by this or drive by this spot out there in that farm, he said my grandpa would point to that place and he would say, such and such shot and killed that girl right there. And there was blood all over the place. So if she was shot and killed right there, which which uh, she would have died because it had a hole right in the side of their left temple in front of the ear, um, the body had to be moved by someone because it was uh, half a section, at least half a section away when the body was found. So the body was found west of where where the shooting would have taken place. If this man is telling me correctly, and I, I do believe the man. <laughs> He's 59 years old today. When this happened, he was only about 12 or 13 years old. And he, he, he said, my grandpa and I were the best of buddies, he said. Folks, just listeners know as we talk through this, and, and for good reasons of both uh, research and uh, corroboration and, uh, frankly, for legal liability, when we talk about some of these cases here and forward, there are some sources we might have on background or deep background, but it's important to know that we're, and Dawn certainly, but Joe and I, as we learn these things, uh, will research and pursue these ideas and theories and um, go through the various sorts of research to corroborate. The other thing I've observed about Dawn, uh, just through looking through Facebook, and we've obviously had yep. some conversations, yep. is that although he has certain ideas that he pursues at a given time, he also stays relatively open to where the truth may lead. And that was my next question, Don, yep. over the years. And again, you don't have to get into specific sources, yep. but how how helpful has been the Facebook in terms of getting leads? You said that you developed a significant following. Uh, yes. Tell us about that. Yes, uh, it started out with this, uh, the the Bonches uh, girl, Joanne Bonches, she was murdered and, and her uh, her niece, uh, is a nurse and her and she's up in the New Ulm area and her niece and uh, her mother her niece and mother wanted uh, a Facebook set up so we could get justice for Joanne and they asked me if I would uh, I would run that site and I was more than willing to do that so I would I would put things on that to keep people informed and my feeling is is that, that if you don't give people information you're not going to get any information. That's my feeling, and, I, and I've always believed that. So you have to give a little to get a little, and that's just exactly my feeling. 
And uh, I keep in touch with Lindsay, who is the niece. And uh, if there's something that I might have done, uh, sometimes I jump between sites, between my personal site and Justice for Joanne, and I forget what site I'm on, and I post something here or there. So uh, Lindsay will say, oh, you put this on. That shouldn't be on this site. And I say, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. And, and then I go back and change what I can. And she has the right to cancel anything off that site that she wants to. But uh, Lindsay is a niece, and uh, uh, Joanne's brother was married to Lindsay's mother. And uh, I've talked with them many, many times, and we have a very good relationship, and I try and keep them up on it. And the problem that happened in this case many years ago is that there is still a brother alive. And his name is James Bonches. And James worked in Fairmont at the time when this happened. And in the business he was in, I, I, I wanna, I, I can't, I think it was rail, railway motors in Fairmont, pretty good business at the time, big business. But I think what happened, uh, as I probably understand it, he worked there and people came to work every day with a different theory or a different thing they had heard. And I think it about drove him right up a wall and he, he got to the point that he he wanted nothing more to do with it. He wanted nothing more to do with the case. He couldn't. I don't think he could handle it, and I don't. I don't blame him because he was swamped with things. And I did talk to his wife once, and if not twice, and I I said I'd like to know if he could help me out somewhat. And she said, "I'm sorry." She said, "It's just uh, it's just so it's so stressful for him at the time." It doesn't, he doesn't want to go into it anymore. And, and I, he's more, she's more or less leaving it up to law enforcement or, uh, investigation to get the case taken care of. So. Yeah. And again, folks, I'm going to remind listeners and viewers and of course, Joe and I will post a link again. That's a Facebook, um, page. That's, uh, justice for Joanne, J O A N N. B-O-N-T-J-E-S, if you search it. Again, we'll have this link posted, but um, it's, it's, it's right up there. I be, yeah, and that's a page, not a group. So you should be able to find that. And the nice thing about a page, depending on the settings, is right. there's some shareability aspects to that. So we would encourage people to find that page and like that page or post that page, whatever the options are. And uh, what we're talking about here, and it's not unknown in other venues that I often say uh, someone out there knows something or knows someone who knows something. Exactly, exactly. Never give up on these older cases. Joe, is there anything else you'd like to comment or ask? No, at this time, I think uh, everyone's going to be really intrigued once we get into the details of the case and some of the things that uh, uh, haven't added up necessarily over the years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess in this endeavor, I hope uh, that we can add to the work that Donovan's been doing on this case and and maybe uh, bring it to a conclusion in the near future. Yes, and we're going to continue to collaborate with Don and, and work through that. Don, before we stop this uh, interview portion of the program or the recording, is there anything else you'd like to say? We'll let you conclude. Right. I guess I guess I could say... Uh, as I stated before, and I, and you have to do it, you have to keep an open mind on everything. And, and I mean, there was one case that started out, it really pointed in one direction. And I kept on and kept on and kept on looking into this, this man. 
And he did a lot of bad things. He did a lot of bad things, but that didn't make him a killer. And uh, there was no positive information of anybody ever saying that such and such shot anybody or such and such killed anybody or where she was killed. They never did say where she was killed. And I know she was not killed on the area that the body was found at. She was not killed at that site. And it was a case of where uh, when when a man can tell you that, when a kid can tell you that his favorite grandfather, his favorite buddy of all times, uh, could make up a story like that. I, I do not believe that he made up a story to tell his grand grandson a lie like that. This man would have been uh, uh, 79 years old at the time, and the grandson was 12 to 13 years old. And when he'd tell him that story, he said, my grandpa would get very, very uh, serious when he'd tell me that. He said, my grandpa was a was a fun man. But he said when it came to talking about this girl being murdered, he said he would turn very serious about it. So he said uh, he said it was a case where I believe my grandpa, and he said he was my best friend. He said he called me genuine, he said. And uh, he said, uh, he said, uh, and I said, well, I said, I'll tell you what, I trust you. I, I trust what you're saying. I believe you. I said, we'll keep on working on that point. And I'm hoping that the Martin County Sheriff's Department, the BCA is involved in this too. They have been for a long time. And we've had other theories on different people that are pretty good theories, but nothing that ties in good. So I'm hoping that they push to get the uh, DNA, if they have DNA. And I, and, and I can't positively tell you that, what they do. That. And I not that I don't want to, I can't tell you because I don't know. Uh, if they really do have any DNA on hand. Uh, so it's a case of where if they do have DNA, they can check the people that I'm talking about, and I think they're going to tell them one way or another, whether that's the case or not. So that's what I'm hoping for right now. And it's been, they've had the information for quite a while, and I thought it should have been done by now. So uh, that's that's what I'm looking for. We'll, we'll let that be our conclusion. Again, I'm Eric Grabowski, my colleague Joe Kistner, and our current and hopefully ongoing guest, Don Mickelson. And thank you, folks.